All right. So Galatians. I've decided, for the sake of those who listen, I've decided that we should do Galatians next. Uh, we've pretty much exhausted the salvific aspects of First and Second Corinthians. So we're in Galatians one, and I think we should start with verse six. So just kind of jump in the deep end. David, would you read verses six, six through nine? Okay. And then jump over 10, and then verses 11 and 12. Okay. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preached any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, before we, I ask for any important things that you see in this passage, a little background on this letter. Paul is writing to a community that has been beleaguered by Judaizers. The Judaizers uh, sometimes have been categorized as people who didn't really fully embrace Jesus and leave behind the legalism of, of their heritage of Judaism. And so they tried to cling to both, and they tried to make other, everybody else become Jews before they could become Christians. That meant they had to be circumcised. Paul taught that the Gentiles did not need circumcision. They only needed to embrace and believe in Jesus. So, that is the background which Paul is writing. And these Judaizers undermined Paul's preaching. They uh, confused the believers. So there was all this confusion among the Galatians. And they started to turn away from the gospel that Paul preached. All right, I'm ready now for any points you want to make or any questions you want to ask. Well, to me it sort of sounds like current times. And also that how humans, we just don't want to accept uh, how simple it can be. The message, we want to add all the trappings and traditions and whatever we want. I was kind of thinking the kind of along the same lines as far as you know it, it, in this situation the Judaizers were trying to get them through a very specific training regimen or whatever that they had to do first but I think we do the same thing I mean anytime you try to add and say that there's anything that we have to do in order to be able to take advantage of the gospel that if we don't do X whether it Put in what you whatever you want it to be it can be, um, well, you know, 
however you you act, whether you go to church, whether you eat meat, whether you uh, do whatever, that none of these things, now there may be benefits in, in, in all of these things, and they can be beneficial in our relationship with God, but they are not the underpinning thing that makes the gospel possible. Um, and that we, as, as we're, that's a very human thing to want to try and add in things rather than just being able to accept that this is a gift that we can, there's no way we can earn this, and while we, but we just need to accept it. Um, what, what do you think is, is the basis of our just our difficulty embracing something this way? Um, I, well, I think the, the more innocent thing of it is that we don't and that we don't want that it's uncomfortable just to be the beneficiary of something that we that we don't we always want to do something in return we want to, to get the credit well th- that w- that was another thing but i'm saying even even but that that's not as innocent of a, no. a motivation okay okay the innocent one. but the the, the 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 more innocent one is that we f- can feel and and maybe this isn't even so innocent. Whether it's just because it leaves us feeling beholden to to a person, or maybe just that, or 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 whether it's just that because someone did something that we want to do something, but then that is more of a um, a response as opposed to something to actually generate the. Um, but we do want to be. Um, Worthy of, of of whatever, and the, there's something that goes very wrong with the idea of uh, against my own personal self-image of saying, you know what, you are so incapable of doing this um, that uh, <laughs> you're a lost cause, and I don't want to accept that. And so the part of that is, like you were starting to say, is that we want to be able to earn this. Um, and then perhaps an even more nefarious reason for this is for those who are in power, that that if there are certain things that have to be added onto this, then they can become the power brokers for providing those extra things that make the grace available and then provides a, ba- a power base for them to operate from yeah, whereas know, the the great whether it's whether it's just grace is an absolute gift that no person can add to or take away from then that that completely takes away that that potential for power base um uh, as well look at it more uh, that's the nature of the whole thing that happened with adam and eve that adam and eve were given <clears throat> the power to do it for themselves, that they could make those decisions. The Lord pre- presented the earth in a certain way to them, the way things are designed, and uh, they could make those choices. Otherwise, you'd have robots. So they, they made the choices. But once they chose not to follow the way that everything is designed and not follow God's design and make those decisions and decided that we're going to do it more our way and follow the deceiver. From that point on, we're all wanting to do it our way. And we can talk about, you know, 
Americans. Yeah, I, th I think you're both right. <laughs> um, actually, um, I, I want to look at the way we're wired. In the beginning, we were wired for grace. You think about it. Nothing in the it's Garden of Eden was, th was free. I mean, everything was free. You didn't pay rent. You didn't pay for your food. You didn't pay for anything. And, and not only was it free, but the love that Adam and Eve had for God was not their own. It came from God's love for them. It, God's love generated their love for Him. So we were wired for grace. Sin is falling out of grace and into doing it ourselves. And, and that to me is, is, to me it's embedded in our DNA to value ourselves according to what we've earned. We, we have been taught our value is based on what we earn, what we acquire, what we achieve, where we go, what we, where Character we live, what our heritage is, I mean, on and on and on. So why wouldn't we naturally go for a, a works-oriented means of salvation? It, that way we can satisfy ourselves, I've, I've done enough, except that the problem is that most people admit they never feel like they've done enough. Right, but it's still, there's that feeling that, that we still have some control in the matter. Exactly. And, and what God does, because we've, we've filled the vacuum of his love with achievement, I'm just going to use the word achievement because it, it's a more widely pervasive term. Because we filled that void with achievement, when God says you can't achieve it, he brings us back to our void of his love and tries to fill it with his love, but if we're so used to achievement, it's hard for us to let go. It's sort of like Linus in his blanket. What's well, about mm -hmm. coming to terms with our powerlessness? And that's exactly. frightening. Mm -hmm. That's too frightening from most what I would like to suggest is that the angels are powerless of themselves. They get their power from God. And so we put this enormous price tag on power. It's so important to us. It's so important to have power. But that's what we do when we don't have love. I, I saw an illustration of this. I don't know. Maybe this wasn't an illustration of this. I have a great imagination when it comes to pets. But um, I've long fed cats in the neighborhood or been friends to cats in the neighborhood. This was back in the day when I had a cat named Blackie. How can you be friends with a cat you don't feed? You talk to it, you oh. pet it, if it lets it. <laughs> you said, I fed them or I've been friends with oh, them. <laughs> and, and or. Uh, when I, I'm friends, I get, I get what you're saying. Yes, I'm friends with the cats I feed. This was when I had Blackie, and there was a cat named Boy and a cat named Girl. They were both black, and they were brothers, brother and sister. And they lived next door. And then there was also a cat named Goliath, a big, black, long-haired kitty with a white tuxedo-shaped kind of thing on his chest. And a cute, really cute cat, but he was big. And he and... Blackie were always picking a fight. But one day, Girl was very unhappy because I was petting Blackie out in my yard. She was in her yard. Blackie was in my yard. I was petting him. And 
she was so upset. You can tell by cat body language when they're upset. She jumped up on something that was sitting out there and looked around perviously, imperviously to the, around her environment as if to say, I rule this world. And I, I thought, you know, she wanted love and she couldn't get it from me. So she'll take power instead. Isn't that what we do as humans? When we can't get love, we exchange it for power. Well, we use power to support our identity, and humans always want identity. Mm -hmm. And if you think of a creator that's all love, all power, all gracious, has everything, we exist because of him. What's our identity then? Our identity is in him. Which is why our identity really... Not in ourselves. It's really spelled out in, in Genesis 1 that God made us in his image. Like, That's our identity. Not like him, but in his image. In his image, yeah. according after according to his likeness. Yeah. Um, I would like to unpack that in terms of the ancient Near East, because it sheds real, to me, really helpful light on it. A lot of scholars misread the Bible. A lot of scholars, and I've, I've been guilty of this too, so I can't point fingers, but... Uh, a lot of times we we glide over the Bible, we think we know what it says, but we actually misread it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of scholars read this as we were created as God's image. That would be very fatal. Yeah, yeah. And that would make us equal with God. Right. Which is unthinkable. But if you think about images, image making in the ancient Near East, particularly in Mesopotamia, the idols that they made of their deities were doubles or substitutes for their deities. The same way with kings. When kings made images of themselves and they put them in far distant cities uh, in their temples, they were making a double or a substitute for themselves. And so whatever you did to the image, you did to the king. Or whatever you did to the image of the god, you did to the god. Mm -hmm. And in that case, the image has no autonomy. It has no freedom. It cannot speak other than what the God would speak. It can only copy the God's behaviors Mm. identically. He can't think for himself. So it's crucial that we understand that we're made in his image because that gives us autonomy and freedom to think for ourselves while still attempting to emulate the divine. One thing that came to my mind, though, is your being that, that this idea of what you did to the image was the same as what you did to the the original. That has some profound implications as to the the ramifications of how we treat each other. Yeah, uh, that the way I treat you is as if I was treating God that same way, uh, in in a sense, because you. Uh, you are, in some sense, a representative of, of for God, and also someone who yeah. is deeply loved it, by God. And so, how? But it's interesting that that the Babylonians never seem to take it that way. Right. They but, they seem to understand that it was only what you did to the image of the God, 
and and they were not the people were not image right but i'm saying but from from the biblical standpoint though where each and every person in some way is an image of god then the way i treat them says something about how how i feel about and and my relationship with god and that um rather than these you know other things that we talked about as far as you know all these hoops that we like to jump through that if there was any one thing that can actually have something that to impact our relationship with God, it's how we treat each other yeah. uh, as opposed to whether and, and, I eat cheese or not. And doesn't um, Jesus say that? In as much as you have done it unto the least of these, my brothers, you have done and sisters, you have done it right. to me. And in as much as you have not done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have not done it to me. Hmm. And love one another as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. That that's all part of that in the image of God. But right. the only people who are, who are voluntarily free can do that. Right. And and so that I'm just trying to make a distinction, distinction between the Babylonian and, and and the way we're looking at this. That's, that's thank you for sharpening that for me, because that's that's uh, one of the things I'll be saying, speaking to this week. It's next week. So, the way I see the model God gave us in the beginning was all about giving and receiving. And in re- as we receive the love of God, then we are able to give it. It isn't our love. We're giving. We're giving what God has given us. And we're disseminating to other people. Once we fell, you can see in Genesis 3 the whole paradigm shift. And they start blaming each other and start holding each other to obligatory love. And so what happens with the fall and and the Tower of Babel and all of that trajectory, we we began to give gifts expecting you give me a light gift in return. This is no longer voluntary giving now. This is obligatory giving. I oblige you. This, this whole concept that we are now indebted is a human way of, an economic way of dealing with reality. It isn't the original way. Uh, and so we, we move from obligatory giving then to, uh, well, let's trade our gifts. I'll give you this if you give me that. Now we come to trade and barter. And it's a short step from that to monetary exchange and hoarding wealth and self-interest and all those things that belong to the economic sphere as we know it through Adam Smith's eyes. Anything else in this, these verses? It's almost like the gospel is supposed to reset the human being, right? Reset button. Yeah. Reset. Now let's go back to love and grace and and everything is free. Kind of like the year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where everything Salvation is the year of Jubilee. In, in fact, I think, that isn't, don't we consider the year of Jubilee a type, a kind of a typology, a type of salvation? Well, it certainly was a, the, the great reset of shaking everything up and, okay, we start over with a clean slate. Also what he's saying is that what he's saying is not from humans, that this is directly from 
God. It's directly from God. Yeah, that's... And so it must have been very hard. I would think at least in my mind it would be very hard the conference president said, and the Mormons do this, they have lots of prophecies, you know, through times. They say, I had a prophecy. I, God told me that now African Americans can be in the church, which I know they did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did the same way. They had a prophecy about the Indians could be in the church and so forth. So they, but they, they seem to understand that, that if you're going to get people to follow, then they're going to say, this isn't my decision, this isn't the conference decision, this isn't Wilson's decisions. God told me this. Well, maybe we're headed that way, huh? Well, you kind of wonder because don't most religions do this already? It's the gods that are directing them, not the humans. So unless you clearly understand the Bible, I don't know how the Galatians could have clearly understood this. What are they comparing it to? Were the Galatians all Jews at one time? No, they're Gentiles. All right, so whatever they were believing in. Um, well, presumably they were somebody's pagans. Somebody's coming along saying, hey, I'm not telling you anything I'm else telling you, not, not a new sort of variation. I'm telling you directly from God. So the Holy Spirit must have been really working there because otherwise how are they going to expect to accept that? It would be the Holy Spirit enabling them to accept yeah, anything, yeah. actually, at this point. That reset button doesn't work at Mike Magic. No. It's the Holy Spirit upon the mind, working on the mind and the heart mm. that allows us to reset. But a part of the acceptance of that, though, it would be the fact that once we can get over ourselves uh, and this idea that I have to somehow earn this, um, but if we can get past that uh, part of it, that the the gospel really is the best news that we could ever hear. Um, that because most of us, at some level, have already kind of figured out that I'm uh, I'm not up to this. I mean, there's there's got to be a reason why imposter syndrome is so widespread um, you know, amongst, especially the the. the it seems to be the, the actually the more accomplished a person is, the more likely they are to to be susceptible to that. Mm. Um, you you go into you know they've taken studies where they've gone into Harvard Medical School or Harvard Law or Yale or these uh, you know really high powered whatever, and and when they when they question people anonymously, the the vast majority of them feel like that they somehow slipped in through the cracks that they they're not up to it uh, that they the got in by the, the students mm-hmm. um, maybe even the professors as well but uh, but as far as the, the the students that they somehow got in as a fluke that they they're not up to the bar as far as whatever you around but they all feel that way mm-hmm. um, and as far as people in various professions and so on that when you talk to them that a very high percentage of people really feel like that I'm I'm just waiting for the other shoe to fall uh, and that they'll figure out that I'm really not up to this and so that we have this underlying feeling that although we try to project our and we don't want to admit that we're not up to it that in our core we realize that we're we're not 
as capable as we want to be, we're not able to do even our own standard of what, much less whatever God's standard would be. And so coming into that, the gospel is the best possible thing we could ever hear. And and Um, what that means is needing a level of honesty that only, I think, God can give us. Of course, everything that we have is from God. But there has to be that honesty of being able to realize I'm not up to it. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time, you figure, you know, like medieval stuff I've been looking at again, they had no access to Bible. They had to wait till the priest told them. Well, they so had the woodcuts. They had woodcuts, uh, pictures. They had... Uh, Stained glass pictures. They had dramas. dramas. They did drama. It was all based on what the church said it was. Yeah. And if the church... So Paul comes in as a church and says, I'm directly from God, what I'm telling you. The only way that would have been enabled must have been the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of it was a... What you're saying is recognizing... What we're accomplishing doesn't feel quite right. And Which just to me is kind of a God-given thing. Or they're so dissatisfied with whatever precepts and religions and spiritual life they had that it just was so untenable they knew something wasn't right here. Mm-hmm. So his message was clean, it was pure. He talked about love, helping each other. So there's probably a lot of elements in there, but it just amazes me when I think of him in the Corinthians and the Galatians, for example. Stuff that was going on to get a message across. I don't know why he, in his mind, thought it would be so, I don't know, easy or wonderful. They just sort of follow him, what he's saying, instead of just going off track so often. Because, you know, we said Corinthians, he's so discouraged at times. And I guess that's part of just the human thing, like, I I got the news and, you know, getting it, you know. Interesting that he wishes a curse upon the people who are preaching the false gospel. He curses them. And to be accursed. Yeah. Well, anyway, Paul certainly is no stranger to strong language. This is his angriest letter. In the Corinthians, there was a very strange relationship, and there was... Accusation. So he was trying to rebuild something. In Galatians, he's just flat out mad. He's so angry with what's happened. These people have come in. So yeah, this is this is the strongest he can get. This is the the most vigorous language he can provide. And I think. I think if you look at the Judaizers, when you seek power and control, which is, I think, they were at that right. part of the echelon of power and control, then you use manipulation. Mm-hmm. There's, nothing, there's nothing genuine about your actions or relationships with other people. It's purely manipulative, trying to get people to do it your way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's why he uses such strong language. Yeah. Yeah, well, luckily people don't try to manipulate each other anymore. And and you notice that Paul doesn't say, if you do this. He says, if we. Right. So he's including himself. So he's including himself. Let him be, himself be accursed. Well, I don't know if we want to end on this note. I think it's important that we rest on verse 11 and 12. 
because that's where we've been going all this discussion. That I did not, that the gospel proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. I think this is what sets Paul apart from all the other apostles. All the other apostles followed Jesus either intimately or indirectly through others' experience. Paul had a straightforward uh, vision of Jesus on the Damascus Road. And this this has a real influence on him and sets him apart, kind of, from all the other apostles. I wonder, it's it's not clear to me, but during the three years that he was out in Damascus. Arabia, well, not in Damascus, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, he cer- clearly had the interaction with, with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. But then there's this three years period before he really got into his his ministry where he was out uh, apparently spent some time out in the Arabian desert and so on and be- before Barnabas came and got him uh, whatever but that where there seems to be some illusions that that was part of his training period as well and so whether God was training him directly during that period or whether he just was studying the Torah and able to see what he had been blind to before or how that I think all worked, a combination I maybe of all all of that because he does talk in the Corinthian correspondence of having been caught up into a third heaven right. and having revelations but he wouldn't tell what those revelations were right. well Someone was caught up into a third heaven. Someone, yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't say it was him, but he, maybe he wasn't sure whether he was or something. Well, after something like that, you'd have to kind of wonder whether it was real or whether it was a dream or what. Yeah. But it was real. Yeah. Okay, let's close with this and have prayer. Gracious Father, we are always humbled in light of your great love for us, in light of the enormous gift you've given us in Jesus, and in light of everything you do to minister to us day by day. May may that lead us to love you in return and to awe and reverence and not to the wistful longing to do it ourselves. May this be our experience, in Jesus' name, amen.